are listening to the Unsung Lung Podcast, presented by Alberta Lung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Unsung Lung Podcast. If you're new here, hi, my name is Jacob Sperling, and I am the host of our wonderful show. This month is a great show for anyone that loves new technology or just advancements in health in general. So stay tuned for the interview, and I know you'll be blown away. As this show is made possible by the amazing people at Alberta Lung, I try to shout out a different initiative every month for an event they're hosting or a new initiative that they're a part of. This month, I want to let you know about the Shaw Birdies for Kids initiative. From now until August 31st, Shaw will match donations made to Alberta Lung by up to 50%. That means that your $100 donation is $150 for Alberta Lung to donate a CPAP machine to a child in need in Alberta, just for example. Your help will allow us to give better care to children across Alberta who are battling lung disease so every penny counts. Consider making a donation today at www.ablung.ca. Perfect, so let's get on to today's show. Our guest on September's edition of the Unsung Lung podcast is Arpan Grover. Arpan is a recent biomedical engineering and commerce graduate from the University of British Columbia. He discovered a keen interest and passion for medical device development while working in the local biotech industry. His focus lies in enhancing medical technology accessibility for under-resourced regions. As a result, he co-founded Clarivent Medical with a vision to create groundbreaking respiratory care devices aiming to address the ventilator shortage during the pandemic. Now, Clarivent is actively working on the bubble helmet, a device designed to enhance non-invasive ventilation and CPAP therapy adherence. I've got to tell you folks, the bubble helmet looks so cool. We'll post the link to the research paper in the show notes below so you can have a look at it yourself. It is truly an amazing machine. As previously mentioned, the the device was created during the COVID-19 pandemic to offer an accessible and affordable aerosol confining mechanism that has capabilities well beyond the pandemic. The team at Clairvent is now looking into how the device can help with other lung diseases by using CPAP procedures. The machine is attached to wall oxygen and it minimizes aerosolization risks that other devices can't do. We are so excited to have our panel on the show today to discuss Clairvent, the bubble helmet, and all things lung health technology. So with that, I'll see you on the other side of the interview and send you straight through to my discussion with the co-founder and CEO of Clarivent Medical Inc., Arpan Grover. Okay, well, I am so excited to be sitting down today with an engineer, an entrepreneur, and the CEO of the organization that we'll be discussing, and they're all the exact same person. So a huge welcome to Arpan. Thanks for coming on the show today. How's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's going well. Perfect. How's the weather out there in Toronto? I, I originally thought that Arpan was in BC. Uh, he's in Toronto for a little for a little bit, but how, how's the weather out there on the on the eastern side? It's go. It's actually really nice. It like thunderstorms once in a while, but otherwise it's bright and sunny. Prefer it to the west coast a little bit in the weather side, but I do really? miss the mountains. I do miss the mountains out there. Yeah, love yeah. Vancouver and everything mm-hmm. around there. Perfect. So in diving into our first question, we might as well go straight into it. I'm wondering if our listeners can maybe get a sense of who you are, your education history, maybe where your interest in lung health began, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a degree in uh, biomedical engineering from UBC, which I just graduated last year. So pretty fresh grad, but I've also had some experience through co-ops and um, industry experience in the medical device um, sectors. So working with all range of medical devices from class one um, and class two and class three devices. So I was working on a project 
on the uh, urinary health side. And then I also worked on the neural health space as well. So we're making neural implants. Um, and then I was uh, introduced to lung health like many people during COVID. And having a degree in biomedical engineering, I thought I could do something about it, but I didn't really have that platform till I joined a, a nonprofit back during the, the advent of COVID, which brought together a bunch of engineers and doctors. And I was lucky enough to be part of this group and learn so much about how engineers can help during uh, such times as the pandemic. So yeah, that's where my introduction was. Very cool. And going back into your uh, undergrad, I'm already going to throw kind of an off the cuff question at you, or maybe not. Is it well sure. into your education? Um, biomedical engineering, like, I guess my question is, what, what would you be doing other than creating medical devices? Yeah, um, there's a lot of biomedical engineers, there's, there's a lot of different career paths. So one of them is, you know, making medical devices, but I feel like very few people actually go into the device area. A lot of them go into therapeutics, um, doing regenerative medicine, so creating artificial tissues and um, doing genomics. Um, there's also on the device side of creating like bionic arms and exoskeletons, things of those nature. So a lot of what I thought I'd be doing would be very research heavy and not so directly applicable the a lot of my peers and a lot of people that i had mentors uh, in the biomedical engineering space were working on very like deep tech um research projects that that and that's where i thought i would be going as well and who knows i might go in there in the future but right now that's yeah, that's that's not where i am but on the device side i feel like it's there's not that many people making medical devices that are ready to use. It's very much on the earlier stage of more exploratory work. Very cool. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about how how deep down it can get. And kind of what you're describing is almost like the the lifetime research grant askers and just how like how mm -hmm. how deep the tech gets and and hopefully it's applicable one day, but it sounds like it's kind of sounds like you're more focused on stuff that's going to be applicable soon, whereas some of your peers may be more interested in things that are going to be uh, applicable in 10, 20, 30 years kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's that's correct, because I feel like I've transitioned away from, a, from an engineering role now into a, a business development role, which isn't conventional for a biomedical engineer to do. It's more so you're on that research side of it, which happens much um, at a different stage of development of a device where it's that the research and the development happens earlier and then it usually feeds into a few other research projects that have been happening which you know partner up and there's a lot of collaboration and then eventually it becomes into a device that's um, either patient facing or research facing um, which then gets commercialized and then at that point of commercialization the, the engineer has very little to do with that process it's much more pushed over to the people with business expertise and expertise on the uh, commercial side of things. So they have uh, hospital relations, manufacturing, um, and like fundraising. So there's a lot of different, I guess, skills that you need that usually the engineer doesn't, it doesn't interface with that. Yeah, that's fair. And, and that's very cool. So today we are here to discuss your company and the research that it does specifically. So I'm wondering if you can give us a brief background into Clarivent and how it sort of got off the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mentioned that nonprofit that I was part of and Clarivent is a direct spinoff of that. So back during COVID, I joined a nonprofit called Cosmic Medical, which brought together 150 doctors, engineers, um, business professionals, any any professional that you can think of was part of that group. And it ranged from like students who just wanted to get started in their career and just wanted to help out to people who had been working in the field for you know 40, 50 years and were retired and everyone in between. So it was a great group to be a part of. And because it was COVID, everything was online. So the founders of that group uh, were a UBC professor and his PhD student, and they facilitated 
this whole group virtually and it was so well executed and I'm still in awe of how well they did. <laughs> but because that group started, I got a platform to one, express my like engineering um, thirst, I guess, to just start building stuff. And I saw all the things that was happening during COVID and I really wanted to help out. So I joined to the group very early, like a month after it started. And I was helping out initially with the ventilator project. So their initial goal with the group was to build a ventilator, a low cost, a low cost ventilator that they could open source and ship out to uh, ship the designs out to like places like Brazil and India and um, other lower resource settings. But because the group grew so large, there was a lot of brainstorming that was happening naturally. And a lot of other projects started coming up. Um, one thing that came up during the discussions was these helmet-based ventilation devices that were being used in Italy. And we looked at that. It was, it was me and uh, three other people that were kind of doing research in this. We showed it to the physicians in the group and they were very interested because it was something never seen before. So our initial thought was, okay, we're going to try to procure some of these devices from Italy and bring them to Canada so we can start testing them and seeing um, how they function. Uh, we weren't actually able to get any because there was such a low, it was such a high demand, and we were pretty low priority on their list for <laughs> shipping out these devices. So, um, being four engineers, we started building it. We we looked at it; it looked quite simple to make. So then we bought some materials from like home hardware and just started putting stuff together. Um, one of the guys on the team had a three D printer, and we just quickly put something together, and it was. It was functional, but it wasn't be- it wasn't pretty, <laughs> but um, but it worked, which was like a win for us early on. We did that super quickly. We and it was amazing how much we accomplished on the engineering side virtually. We didn't. I hadn't met these people in person for the full six months of uh, when we were developing, and we went from a like idea to a prototype to. Um, running tests like with hair dryers and um, like mattress pumps in in our living rooms and just being on video calls. So that was that was a lot of fun. And then um, we had this. Our, our initial thought was we're just going to make exactly what they're doing in Italy. But then we had this idea of what if we change the design a bit and made it a bit more user friendly. So right now, uh, the I guess state of the art with helmet ventilation is. You have a hood with a rigid neck connector, and that connects to the neck seal. So it's three parts. Um, we thought, how can we make it so the patient can lay down and they're not their mobility is not restricted? Because there was a lot of research coming out during COVID around how when a patient goes prone, so that's laying down um, on their front, that makes it the recovery much faster. So we're like, okay, how can we take this hood? and allow patients to prone. And we were hearing that from doctors consistently as well. It's like, oh, it'd be great if our patients could prone on these hoods. So we got some different materials and we were using like curling irons and hair straighteners to seal these materials together. And we made a really cool looking prototype. And that's what you can see on our website as well. Uh, It's a completely clear and flexible hood that is really simple to manufacture. We, I mean, built in our living rooms and it was actually better in functionality than what we had, uh, what we had seen being used in Italy. So the, I mean, doctors are really excited about it and we were quite naive and we're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's get this in use. Like, let's get some patients using this device and, um, quickly ran into a lot of regulatory hurdles and, um, that's when we spun off and declare event. So we realized we, c- we didn't have the right organization to commercialize a medical device. So we had to spin off into a new entity. And there's a lot of discussion as to who would lead this new entity. And um, so myself and my co-founder, Viona, who were originally on the project, um, continued with it and are now leading this new organization called um, Clarevent Medical, which has the goal of commercializing this device and actually getting it to use on those patients that we had originally planned to. And this whole process has been going on now for uh, three years from that initial idea to where we're at now.
That's very cool. I, I think the one thing that stuck out to me is how how this started during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Your whole uh, like the bubble helmet and and brainstorming and things of that nature. And it's funny when we look back at that time, it seems distant now. But a lot of the people that I've talked to when and nowadays we try not to talk about COVID because it's like that dark time. But people I talk to have fond memories of COVID and it's weird to say that, but just for, for me, for example, like almost the exact same thing as you, I, I put my head down, I quit my job. I was able to collect the benefit and I put my head in a book and I just studied for my LSAT and I got my lifelong goal of getting into law school. So same thing. I think the pandemic kind of made us just look into ourselves and not maybe be always outside we had to focus a bit and and that's good obviously and it allows it allowed things to happen like clarivent for you which is amazing so along those lines i'm wondering if you could kind of tell our listeners what the hardest part about starting a med tech company is and uh if you got over that hurdle how you did that kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah i'm i mean i'm sure there's gonna be a lot more hurdles but from my experience up till now, um, to give some context, we are uh, we don't have a device in market yet. We are going. Um, we've done some benchtop testing, and we're going to be um, starting pilot studies soon with um, uh, with some industry partners. So that's that's the stage we're at now. And I know there's going to be a lot of difficulties when we're commercializing, but um, the hardest part, at least for me, was understanding the regulatory piece up till now. Like, how are we going to get regulatory approval? What's the process? What are what are all the processes we need to put in place? Um, looking looking back at it, uh, it was difficult. But where I'm at now, if I were to do it again, it would be quite simple. So because I've learned it once, it's quite applicable to a lot of different devices. Um, but doing it that the first time was quite challenging because there's a lot of reading I had to do, a lot of understanding of different um, bureaucracy and understanding how different standards and ISO regulations worked and all that. So initially, I found that quite challenging. But the challenge I'm facing now is around um, sales and distribution. So I'm at that same stage again where I was with regulatory a year ago. Um, Now it's understanding how do hospitals buy things, how do hospitals operate, where in the workflow do we fit into? Um, who do we need to talk to when we have our product ready? Um, so those kind of things, and then pushback as well. So it's because it's a relatively new device, we have to produce a lot of evidence around the efficacy of it, and that's time-consuming and expensive. So, and not only that, but there's a lot of um, uncertainty around it as well. It's like, what are hospitals really looking for? when it comes to evidence, because we can go through fancy, you know, clinical trials and pilot studies and get all this data, but it might not be the right data that the, the hospitals really care about. So that's, um, that's always tricky, trying to figure out how to plan these studies and planning them where we're showing that it's one effective, but also um, it, it uh, is beneficial to the hospital, either in a, in a cost saving aspect or in a, like a patient turnaround aspect. So we need to show some, uh, benefit piece and then also a um, uh, efficacy piece to show that it's like equivalent or better than the therapy they're using right now. So yeah, those are some, I wouldn't say like struggles I'm having, but like new learning I have, I have to do. Right. Yeah. That's super interesting because you think on the surface, it's just make a medical device and put it to market, but that's just, that's just the surface. And there's so much you're, you're, you're basically not basically you are a a biomedical entrepreneur kind of, and, and, and it's very, Mm -hmm. it's interesting how many different things you have to be adept in to put something like this to market by yourself and not just be the engineer behind a big corporation, but you're actually doing it all by yourself. So we've already discussed it, the, your, your technology that you're creating. And it's the main reason we're here today. 
So we want to talk about the cosmic bubble helmet. And I think I, I, I'm not sure if that's what it's called anymore. If it's called cosmic um, because of the old organization mm-hmm. that uh, you work with. So CBH for short, but as your article describes it, it is a non-invasive positive pressure ventilation system for COVID-19. And obviously we'll talk about more how it, it, it plans to expand on uh, not just COVID-19, but I'm hoping you could maybe give us some background on the bubble helmet and why you think it's going to be so big for the lung health world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those five words, non-invasive, positive pressure, pressure, ventilation, sums up exactly what it is. So the first part, non-invasive, that means there's no tubes or needles that have to go inside the body. Um, second part, positive pressure, it functions as a a positive pressure device. So it increases the amount of pressure that's around you. So it's easy for you to take a breath in. Um, And then ventilation. So it's for the lungs, it's to provide air, um, to provide air support to the lungs. So there's a lot of information to unpack there um, (laughs) where like what's, what's available now and why is this uh, suitable, um, I guess, future for how to how we provide ventilation um, right now the options available for a patient with respiratory distress there's nasal cannulas so those are um, essentially two prongs that go inside a patient's nose they're also non-invasive um, they're really good for providing oxygen and really low levels of pressure for um, someone who might need a little bit of breathing support but is really lacking that oxygenation that they need um, in their lungs. So for some cases, these high-flow nasal cannulas are amazing. Um, But if those aren't working and you need higher pressures and need higher levels of uh, oxygen, the next level is uh, a mask. So these masks range from just something that goes over your nose. They could go over your full face. Um, So those are oronasal masks. And then there's uh, full face masks, which essentially go all around your face. And they're all for different um, indications, but essentially the the benefit of these masks is you can deliver higher levels of positive pressure. The issue with increasing the amount of positive pressure with a mask is that you have to strap it on like really tightly and it's really claustrophobic and uncomfortable for patients. And when these masks don't work, um, they're, well, before going on to that, so, because they're so they're so tightly strapped on, they end up causing ulcers and um, scars on the face, and that can be quite uh, detrimental for the patient because those take long to heal, and they could also get infected quite easily because they're literally lesions on the face. Uh, so there's a lot of issues with these masks. I was reading a study recently, actually, that forty percent of patients can't tolerate masks, and um, an even larger number than that, I think. I don't want to give wrong numbers here, so I won't say anything, but um, yeah, it's like 40% can't tolerate those masks, but then um, a large population can't, like prefers not to use them. So it's just overall discomfort and disdain for these masks. Um, And then there's the other side of invasive ventilation. So there's one instance where when you can't tolerate a mask, you get put on invasive ventilation. But then there's other instances where you're unconscious and then you have to go on ventilation as well. So that, that's for invasive ventilation. And that we're not replacing that. There is clear indications for using invasive ventilation that uh, we're not touching right now. Um, we're essentially looking at this discomfort that comes with the mask and also uh, aerosolization of viral particles and bacterial particles. So um, with COVID, the, it, it was a bit more extreme because everyone that was going into the hospital uh, had infection, either they had infection or they needed to be protected from infection. So there was a high alert of need to use PPE and need to be, um, uh, need to contain this infection, go to negative pressure rooms. Um, but in lower resource settings, that wasn't possible. So the disease would just spread and everyone in the hospital would get infected. Um, with the bubble helmet, it's an enclosed system with filters on the inflow and the outflow. So all the air going to the patient is clean. All the air coming out of the patient is clean uh, as it reaches the environment. There is leak rates of around two to 3%. So we still recommend that you wear PPE. So that'd be mask, face shield and all that when you're treating a viral patient, but it's that extra barrier of protection. Now, since 
you know, COVID's died down, there is still COVID, but it's not as pronounced anymore. There are other viral diseases such as, you know, influenza, tuberculosis, uh, there's you know, a list of a lot of different diseases that still spread, but, and there will be a use case there for helmet-based ventilation. But the bigger use case is around that uh, mass discomfort and giving another option to patients to make it more accessible. So patients with burns or any uh, beards, if you have a long beard, you can't wear a mask, you won't be able to create a seal. If your face is too small, it won't be able to create a seal. If it's too big, it might not work. So there's a lot of instances where these masks aren't just aren't accessible for a big population. So that's where um, the helmet also comes into play. And that's going to be the biggest impact, um, at least as I see, where uh, these helmets would, would come in. But there's also the added benefit of the infectious particles and um, just having an alternative uh, interface for those who, who might prefer it. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I'll, I'll actually stay away from the uh, infectious part just for a second. And, and sure. something kind of clicked in my head. Uh, what, when we've talked about COPD at Alberta Lung, and I'm not sure how much you know about COPD, but mm -hmm. from what I gather, you could have like the, the cannula in your nose and getting that vital oxygen that you need, but still feel breathless because you can't get oxygen in and you can't get it out. Your, your, your diaphragm is, I'm not going to get scientific here, but it, you, mm -hmm. you can't push air out when you have COPD. So you have that feeling of breathlessness. Do you think the, the bubble helmet has the capability to kind of, uh, help with something like that because it's positive pressure and it helps you get a breath in, or is it mostly just for like that, like you mentioned that infection. So, uh, clean air comes in and then clear, clean air goes out. So we can have some protection for, uh, people in hospital dealing with infectious diseases, especially during COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I, so going back to the name, so non-invasive positive pressure. So it does deliver a pretty good amount of positive pressure, which helps patients breathe. And COPD is actually our biggest use case. COPD patients need to be, uh, like when they, when they have flare-ups or when they uh, need to go to the ICU, they'll, one is like the repeat patients because it is a chronic disease and um, they, will be in the, they will be in the ICU for longer periods of time than other patients. So um, because of that long duration of therapy, having something that's uncomfortable or um, cause face lesions isn't ideal. <laughs> so having a hood that can deliver oxygen and pressure support to help you breathe is an ideal use case. And um, COPD is actually our initial target market uh, when we're going to be um, testing out these devices. Yeah, that that's very cool. We kind of skipped ahead a, a few questions, but um, I, I guess okay. I'm just uh, <laughs> I I I got my my what's the saying? Got my finger on the pulse of. I already knew what you guys <laughs> what you guys were gonna do with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm wondering. I, I'm gonna kind of edit this question a little bit. So when you did work with Cosmic, it was I guess I'm not sure how you how you mentioned it, but it was kind of like open source, so people mm. could see how you guys. We're, we're doing the research and what the technology was looking like. So what was that like back then? And is it different now? Like, I guess actually a question that I had come up is patenting. And mm -hmm. do you have any patents on the bubble helmet? How, how does, what's the difference between when it was open source back then and now that you have an incorporated company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the, yeah, as you mentioned, initial device, completely open source. We published in IEEE, we um, put everything on GitHub. We were building in public, and that was our goal. And since we incorporated, we are further developing the device. And we've, over the past year, we've worked with um, BCIT over in, uh, in British Columbia um, to further develop the device. And we are now patenting some features of it, the ones that we've been developing. and. We're actually in the process right now of patenting, so it's a exciting time, but exciting, but also a bit confusing. <laughs> like patent, it seems like no one really knows what they're doing, but at the same time, there's this like common agreement between everybody. So it's so it's a weird world <laughs> that I'm still getting used to. It's like gray area world, um, but I digress. The the um, yeah. Going 
and making that decision of do we want to stay open source or do we want to um, patent what we've been developing over the past year was difficult because staying true to what we wanted to initially do was make it you know completely available to everybody and accessible but we learned that if we were to just take this device and again make it open source one no investor would be interested so we wouldn't actually be able to get money to commercialize it and get it to the patients that need it um so that was a barrier and then the second thing was if we just put it out into the world now because the device is a bit more complex there's a bit more moving parts no one's actually going to be able to build it it's it's not as simple as it was before so essentially what these patents are doing is protecting anyone else from coming in and um any other larger company from coming in and making the t making the device so we can go to investors and say yeah we're we're the only ones we want to um we, we want to take this to market and give it to the patients that we've been talking to and we have the ability to like once we get the patents we have the ability to license out this design as well to other um, manufacturers and at that point we'll even consider like once we have enough market uh, market exposure, we might consider receding the patent as well or um, selling the patent to a different larger manufacturer just to get it produced in larger volumes. Our, we're just we're trying to see like our strategy is how can we get this device out and helping as many patients as possible. And without a patent, it seemed impossible. <laughs> Even though we didn't want to keep things a secret, um, we wanted to um we want to get the device to people and this seemed like a necessary barrier to actually get it to there yeah uh, well certainly no one can fault you for wanting to 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 take your own interests into account and uh everyone always thinks of doctors and engineers as raking in the cash but when you add entre entrepreneur to that it obviously adds that little bit of extra complexity where mm -hmm. people know if you've watched shark tank or dragons then you know the struggles of entrepreneurs so there's definitely no no shame in, in keeping that that uh kind of an industry secret to yourself for now and then when it blows up i know it'll be it'll be all over hospital shelves so mm -hmm. so that's definitely not a problem obviously from our end um so this this next question is a little bit longer and i'm going to ask you and our listeners to just stick with me for these couple sentences but in thinking about other technologies that are available right now how does the bubble helmet compare to traditional nippv systems Systems, and I'll say what that means in just a second. So how does it compare in terms of patient outcomes and risks associated with mechanical ventilation for COVID-19 patients and any patient that has used the machine? So going back, NIPPV stands for non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, as we've mentioned previously. So how does it compare to, to the systems already out there? Mm -hmm. I wish I could give you a clear answer of like yes it's better or it's the same or it's worse i um there's a lot of studies that have come out uh using those devices in italy that i mentioned previously and there's an, a, a new one that's uh, in the us now as well so they're actively running studies right now and the general consensus is that the conclusion is um like there's not enough data <laughs> and that's like after every single publication i read at the end it always says results are inconclusive or there needs to be a study done with um like more participants and it's you, sorry it, sorry to interrupt do you think that's a funding thing or not not enough um people like like it's it's a it's their projects people are working off the side of their desk or what do you think that has to do uh what do, what do you think that's the reason um, I think up till now, it's just been a poor study design because a lot of it was just like really quickly during COVID, like they were doing these, uh, they were just doing actual patient use and on the side, they would like do a study, but now the studies are becoming much more, much more intentional, which is nice. So there's, I know there's active studies going on, large scale studies, 300 patients, 400 patients. Um, there's actually one happening in Canada, uh, here in Toronto. Um, there's one happening a, in the U.S in Chicago, uh, there's some happening in Italy, like there's some big, large, larger scale studies happening now. And there's gonna be some great data that comes out of that. And I'm really looking forward to it. But 
Um, the data that has come out now, a lot of it is saying that it's uh, equivalent to current NIPPV methods. So the like duration, the therapy, everything is equivalent. Some studies have said it's slightly better. Some studies have concluded that it's slightly worse, but all of them have also added that little flare on saying that it, more data, like we need more data to make conclusive uh, recommendations or decisions. Um, one thing I do want to add though is the World Health Organization has recently uh, approved these devices to be used for um, for respiratory patients. Um, so that that shows that the data was good enough for the World Health Organization to recognize it as a uh, adequate therapy. So that's a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, it's not just um, some like fooey technology that someone that people are building in their garage is actually like mm -hmm. world worldwide renowned and people are putting a lot of effort into it at this point, which is which is really cool to hear. So from your article, if we consider the European Society of Intensive Medicine's current guidelines, what are the advantages and potential implications of implementing helmet based uh, NIPPVs like the cosmic bubble helmet in healthcare settings to mitigate virus aerosolization risks while providing respiratory support to COVID-19 patients? And that is a silly long question, and I can't believe I wrote that, but I'll let you take it away. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll um I'll talk about the advantages first. And I think I've I've touched on a lot of these, but I can reiterate the uh, infectious disease containment point of it. Um specifically for COVID-19 patients. So the as as people heard, COVID-19 is especially um contagious and spreads very easily. So having this extra barrier to contain infectious particles is very beneficial. But taking it even one step further from COVID-19 patients, respiratory diseases will keep keep coming and they'll get more contagious and more infectious as they come. So we've seen that in history and uh, this is not going to change. So having a helmet-based NIPPV available for using in those cases will be uh, very advantageous. Um, other 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 benefits come in the form of just making it more accessible and equitable for the patients with uh, who who may not fit into the masks yeah so uh, if i if i can chime in for a second one kind of weird metaphor i'm thinking of is like when you see in the in the horrible cheap pandemic movies that they make and they have the quarantine zones and mm -hmm. it's like a like a side of the hospital that's uh, like all bubbled off and there's you have to go through three sections of plastic i want to make the metaphor is the bubble helmet effectively making these quarantine zones like a personalized suit that maybe not you can walk around i'm not sure we don't have to get into the portability of it or we can but so so it's kind of like turning these giant quarantine zones into like a personal mm -hmm. you contain your contagion and we don't have to worry about spreading it all across the hospital um yes yes and no so <laughs> there's um it's definitely a added barrier but it's not as effective as those quarantine rooms those quarantine rooms are as you mentioned you have to go through you know three different doors and put on a hazmat suit and there's like air sucking out so there's like negative pressure sucking out all the in infectious particles so those are highly highly effective um whereas with ours it's like 99 percent of the infectious will be contained but that one percent will still be um able to escape and roam around that's why we do recommend you you should be wearing your adequate ppe for that one percent but the combination of you know using the bubble helmet along with a, a respirator and a face shield you can get pretty close to uh 100 um clearing but yeah i, I do want to i do want to cautious caution and say yeah like it's not as good as the those uh highly critical uh infectious uh mitigation particle prior rooms or however you want to call them right yeah of course and obviously there's well 
in any technology, it's never going to be 100% effective. There can always mm-hmm. be defaults, but it just adds that extra layer of yeah. example, like if if the if the rooms are 99.6% effective, maybe mm-hmm. these suits bump it up to a 99.8 or 99.9 exactly. and it it provides extra protection for the physician for the physicians in the room with the person. So I mean, anytime we can increase safety for physicians and nurses and people that have to deal with that sort of thing on a daily basis, that's that's really amazing. So in terms of let's say ergonomics, how did the bubble helmet evolve from its initial design to the current single material version? And how does it improve patient comfort during their respiratory support sessions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so initially we started as a carbon copy of the one that's available in Italy with a rigid neck collar, uh, a PVC hood, and a silicone uh, silicone neck seal. Those are the materials we were using. And the rigid neck collar was quite uncomfortable for patient use because it restricted their mobility a lot where they wouldn't be able to lay down they could lay down, but then there's this um, big piece of plastic that's <laughs> against your neck and it's it's not ideal. So those were our first prototypes and our first iterations. And then it was actually, uh, I, I don't want to say luck, but through multiple iterations, <laughs> we reached this, um, we, we, took a, we took that curling iron and hair straightener and just stuck the materials together and realized they didn't stick. So then we looked at other materials that we could get that were actually compatible where you can heat seal them. So then we started looking at different thermoplastics and did a lot of research there and found two materials that were very compatible with each other that we could just um, stick together and make it a single single unit, uh, completely clear and flexible hood. And that improved the ergonomics on the patient side a lot where they could go in any position they wanted. So they can go prone, they can go supine, um, which is laying on your back. They can roll around, they can do whatever they like. But one big thing was that, I mean, that improved patient comfort a lot, but the more beneficial part of it was that they could be pronated and that would, uh, that would make the, the duration of their stay less. So there's a lot of research coming out saying that when you're prone, you increase the therapeutic effect of ventilation. And having a device, uh, a positive pressure device where you can prone in, that just that, that didn't exist. So they were making all these contraptions with like different pillows and different, um, some even tried like sticking your head off the bed and trying to prone the patients. So having that piece where the patient can prone while getting positive pressure was, was huge when we... Uh, modified the design to this point. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where the like design iterations led us. Really cool. Amazing. So w- one thing I'm kind of wondering again, off the cuff is just about how, how you went into- I know it's not on the market yet, but how you anticipate patient acceptance of the device, just from looking at the article, it's, it's a little bit of an intimidating piece. Like it, it's, yep. it's a big, it's a big bubble helmet. It's more than the cannula. It it looks like more than the mask. Obviously it, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be super tight on your face. Like the mask does. How, how do you anticipate patient acceptance is going to be? And, and maybe all doctors have to say is, Hey, if you put this mask on, I'm going to have to wrench on it and make it super tight. Whereas if you put on this bubble helmet, mm-hmm. you'll be comfortable. So how, how, how do you think, um, acceptance is going to be once once you get closer to to a market release yeah so there's a lot of different players that'll be involved in getting this device actually used the patient will 100 percent. they will need to approve the device being used for them um, but a lot of that comes from the nurse and physician team when they're the ones advocating to the patient saying this is better for you this is more comfortable this is xyz like this is why you should use this then the patient has a lot of faith in their healthcare providers um, of the kind of they know best. And the fact is they, they do know best. They you, usually, you should listen to your, your healthcare provider. I mean, there will be the, the patient that will be like, no, I'm used to the mask. I want to use the mask or I don't, I'm not comfortable using this. Like, give me, give me this other therapy. And um, in that case, it will be used. And on the flip side, there will be nurses and physicians who are uncomfortable using it as well. They will, um, 
more likely recommend something they're comfortable with, such as a mask or a nasal cannula, and that's completely fine as well. But there needs to be that that unison between the patient willing patient willingness to use the device and the nurse and physician advocacy around the benefits of the device for it to be um, adopted. And you're you're spot on. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy to change practices for both patient and the physician and and, and nurse. But the more data that that gets collected, I mean, it all comes back to data. Like you collect more data, you show efficacy, you get people comfortable using it. Um, it'll be a slow slow burn, but eventually it'll it eventually will get adopted because if we can show that it's better and if we can show that it's efficacious, if we can show that it's more comfortable, if we can show positive uh, positive patient outcomes, then there's a the there would be it would be a disservice not to use it. Yeah, yeah. I was go- I was going to say if it, as long as you can show efficacy, hopefully mm-hmm. doctors can can get out of their old ways and realize when something's going to be better for their mm-hmm. patient in the long run. Just in com- not even only in comfort. Like as you as you've mentioned a few times, the mask can be super uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. even just in like it's more it's more effective and it gets the job done better than a mask does so hopefully that that takes uh that catches on as soon as you and as soon as you have trials going and it gets ready to head to market so i think that about wraps it up for our substantive questions today i'm just hoping that you can direct our listeners for where to find you and all your fantastic work online yeah you can find me on linkedin i'm active there and we have a, a publication for if you're interested in diving deeper into the technology and understanding the more nitty-gritty of things. So that's uh, it's a good read. And also we have a, a website and uh, my email. If you it's uh, you can email us on our website and we have a phone number as well. So if you want to reach out and uh, have a discussion with with me or my co-founder, where yeah, we're always willing to talk. Awesome. So what, what's the website just so people know? Yeah. Oh, the website, our company name. So claireventmedical.com. Easy enough. Perfect. Yeah. Well, from one person to another who loves health technology and specifically lung health technology. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. This episode was certainly more technical than many of ours have been in the past. So I know that it might have been a lot for our listeners to take in, but I know they'll definitely be appreciative for the work that you're doing for lung health in Canada and around the world. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jacob. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. So with that, I'll send us through right to our outro. What a great show with our pan. I feel like we here at the Unsung Lung Podcast have just been so blessed with getting to know young medtech startup CEOs and I am eternally grateful for their support of the show. A couple months ago, it was Amanda Hollick with iMaster Health, and this time we got to speak to Arpan with Clarivent Medical. It's just so inspiring to see such young individuals with such amazing ideas involving lung health. As we always do on the show, I'll finish up with my final three concluding thoughts from the interview. The first is just about how incredible of an industry that biomedical engineering is. The vast array of topics that these engineers can focus on is so interesting, like things from making medical devices to therapeutics like regenerative medicines and creating artificial tissues, all the way to things like bionic arms, which is closer to the device creating side. I've always loved health sciences, and to know that engineers can work with biotech makes me so hopeful that one day I can actually integrate my law degree with health in some way. I think it's so interesting. We we talk about a lot a lot of times on this show how the body is integrated, but it goes out into the real world of of lung health and and health the health landscape in general. There's engineers who are practicing health and medicine and medical uh, techniques and devices, and there's people obviously in law as well, which is closer to my realm, that are practicing medical malpractice and other things of that nature like uh, health policy for example and making laws that have to do with uh, making legislation that has to do with uh, with health so it, it's really incredible to think of just the interconnectedness of different sciences different disciplines and how they all eventually just create uh, create a better experience for those with 
lung health problems with lung diseases and they get at the root of the problems that really need fixing. My second concluding thought, and I know I've spoken about this topic so many times before, but it's about how the COVID-19 pandemic, for all its downside that it had, it did really have a few upsides. It made, it made us as individuals sort of hunker down and get things done that we couldn't do before because our lives were just so darn busy. Me with fulfilling my dream of getting into law school and Arpan with starting his med tech company, it just goes to show that even in the darkest days, there is still a little bit of light. My final concluding thought is about the adaptability of this new bubble helmet that Arpan and his team are creating at Clarevent. It's so cool that it can be used for purposes as vast as mitigating that breathless feeling in COPD patients to minimizing infectious disease spreading bacteria in the air for attending physicians in hospital. It is truly a one-of-a-kind technology and I can't wait to see Arpan take it to market. It's, it's really interesting seeing him come from the bottom from just designs and open source designs at that that other people could... I guess, quote unquote, steal and create on their own, but obviously now having patents starting and just starting that entrepreneurial process where he has to get investors and the whole team at Clarevent has to put all their effort in, not into just making the the bubble helmet, the, the device uh, workable, make it, make it an effective product, but they also have to market it and get it to investors, get it to hospitals, get it in front of anyone who will see it. Uh, essentially so it's incredible to think of the journey that he has that he's going to have and i'm i'm 100 rooting for him i hope that the device uh, is incredible one day for uh for everyone that is suffering with lung disease whoever it is usable for obviously we we mentioned those with copd hopefully it can be used for that and patients with uh, uh infectious respiratory diseases so i Hopefully, and, and not even hopefully, I, I think the moon is too close for our pan to shoot. He's going to shoot to the stars and it's going to be an amazing product one day. Okay, perfect. So that does it for my final three concluding thoughts. Once again, a huge thank you to our pan for being on the show today. Without amazing guests like him, we wouldn't have new content to put out to our listeners. And speaking of giving thanks, I'd just like to give a special shout out to the team at Alberta Lung for helping to keep this show going over the summer months. Jamie, for your constant help in recruiting guests. Nina, for your steadfast support. And Lee, for your amazing leadership. I know that things tend to slow down in the summer months as people are away on vacation, but we've kept this ship running relatively smoothly, and I couldn't be more appreciative of everyone behind the scenes of the Unsung Lung podcast. Okay, well, that'll do it for the show today. As I usually do, I'll leave you with our motto, as always, just remember to breathe.